I introduced uh, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus last week, um, and I tried my best to make an introduction. I really went ahead of what I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of give an introduction. I didn't plan on doing like a series through Galatians at all, but I'm kind of stuck there. <laughs> There's so much there um, that I, uh, I, we may be in Galatians for a little while. Um, but it, it goes right along with everything that we're saying. The cool thing about Scripture is that it is a living word. It's not just a, a history lesson. It comes to life because of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And so when, when we read it, I begin to see things that I've never seen before, and it begins to come to life in me. Um, and it is life to us. So uh, having said that, I want to pray before we get started. I know I've prayed a lot, but I want to pray over even what we're about to talk about now. So, Father, I pray right now that you will just uh, guide me in teaching, Father, uh, just, just be in your word as, as I know that you are and become life to us today. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you even for the renewing of our minds and knowledge. Um, so, Father, I just pray over this time right now that you will just uh, continue to open our eyes and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, I'll briefly go over uh, what we talked about last week because I want to get kind of into it. But basically, we're in Galatians 1.1. Um, we're going to kind of go through, and I'm going to basically go almost all the way through it um, here. But Paul basically was Saul of Tarsus was, uh, uh, in all accounts, a terrorist. He was seeking, in his own words, to snuff out Christians. He was uh, zealous for, he was uh, very steeped in Judaism, and, and he was just thought that the whole Jesus movement was bad, and so he was trying to kill all the Christians. So he was after him to, he was after him to kill them all, and he was, as far as Christians were concerned, a bad dude. As far as um, Judaism, he was the best of the best. He's got a great resume we'll get into in a minute. But he was basically persecuting Christians. He was killing them. Um, and I don't want to get too graphic, but, but he was literally stoning, crushing the skulls of people here. I mean, this is murderous things that he's doing. He's done a lot of pretty rough things. All right, party time. And so <laughs> right after we talk about Paul murdering people. So, uh, so Paul is chasing down and killing Christians, and when he's not doing it, he's approving. He's standing by as other people do it, um, as they're, they're stoning people to death. And this is his life. He is not... Halfway invested in this, he is fully sold out to this cause. He is after Christians, he's going to kill them all. He wants to snuff them out. All right? So as many of you know, there was the, the road to Damascus. He had the experience where he experienced Christ. Now, what he experienced was the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. He experienced that. He didn't experience a new way of teaching. He didn't experience a theology. He didn't experience a, a new school on how to be a Christian. Um, he experienced the reality of the kingdom of God flashed in his face literally. <laughs> and so he, he encountered the living Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, it was real. So verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men but, or by man, but by Jesus Christ uh, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, it's important that he says this because he's speaking to these Galatians. He brought, uh, he brought Jesus' message, which is a message of grace. It's not a new movement that churches in America are just starting to preach on grace. Grace is the good news. Grace is uh, the gospel. It is Jesus. Jesus is grace. So this is not some movement or some fresh way of thinking. This is all the way back from this. And so he's saying, look, I received this from Christ, not from men, is what he's saying here. God the Father raised him from the dead, and, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself... For our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and the Father, to Him be the glory forever and ever. So he's establishing right from the start, right from the jump, 
this isn't, this isn't a new way of thinking. This is, this is real to me. And this didn't come from men or teaching. This came from the, the God of the universe. And so verse 6 says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by what? By the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel. I love that. Not that there really is any other gospel. But there are some who are troubling you and want you to change the, change the good news. Listen to this. Change the good news about the Messiah. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what I have preached to you, a curse be on him. Now stop there. We know that in the new church, in the new covenant, we don't live in a, in a system of blessings and cursings, right? What he's saying here is, and I could go back in, in the scripture, we may get to that in a minute. Uh, the law brings curse, it brings death. And what he's saying to you is, if you try to go back to that, that's the result of it. So it's kind of a math, almost a mathematical thing. Law equals curse equals death. The gospel I brought you is the reality of God and it's grace of God and it's life and it brings life to you. So even if you could go back to that other gospel, which there isn't even another gospel, but if you try to go back to that, because what happened here where there were people that came in and began to try to trick them, and that's why he calls them foolish Galatians. You've been duped, you've been tricked into thinking that there's something to add to this gospel. And so he's frustrated with them right now because they didn't come from his background. Think about this now. They didn't come from Judaism. They didn't come from the law. They didn't come. They don't have the lineage, the heritage, and everything. They, they got the message fresh, and so they didn't have all that baggage that they had to unthink. Does that make sense? Um, a lot of us that didn't grow up in church, when I explained things to them, um, people, or, or even the ones that I got saved, and then there was a lot of kind of bad theology that I learned in church, church that I had to unlearn, and there were people that got saved after me, and when I start to talk about it, they're like, well, I never even thought about that. But we, we get these ideas from this lineage. So he's saying to them, you, did, you guys didn't even get... Uh, this law-based thinking, and now all of a sudden you're trying to put it on top of what I've given you. Does that make sense? You're trying to add to the gospel, and he's saying that the only result in that is curse. As we have said before, is verse 9, as we have said before, I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, a curse be on him. For I am now trying to win the, for, for am I now trying to win the favor of people? This is going back to his Judaism thing. Am I trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. Now he's saying if, if he was doing well, and if you go back to his resume, he was, he was a super apostle. He was the best of the best. Uh, as far as zeal goes, he was persecuting the church. All these things, his resume goes down. He's saying, I could go back to that. If that was the case, I could go back to that. But that's not the case. Verse 11 says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel preached by me is not based on human thought. Now this is good because remember what we talked about last week. The Bible's constantly telling us to set our mind and renew our mind, right? This is not based on human thought. He didn't go and plan all this stuff. God revealed it to him. Remember, we discover truth. We don't, we don't determine it. So he's saying this isn't a plan. This isn't from human thought. This is from Jesus. This is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from human source. This goes along with what uh, Melissa was telling me. I did not receive this from a human source, and I was not taught it. But it came by revelation from Jesus Christ. I could stop there, and we really need to. I really want to emphasize this. What I was talking about in worship, what I was hearing from the Lord, do we either trust Him or we don't. We either trust the Holy Spirit or we don't. It's bottom line: either we trust Him or we don't. And He's saying this: for I did not receive this from a human source, and I was not taught it. But it came by the revelation from Jesus Christ. Verse thirteen: For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree and tried to destroy it. Another version says, snuff it out. I advanced in Judaism beyond many 
many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when, whew, but when God, who from my birth set me apart and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I could preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I'll stop there. Whew, it's powerful words. Because you've got to think about this, this person. This isn't just a story. This is a person who was killing people, who was murdering people, who was persecuting the church, and who was crushing skulls with stones, was radically transformed, and he's, he's penned most of the New Testament, and we're talking about it today. We're talking about grace and love from a, basically a mass murderer. <laughs> Get that in your head, what's going on here. And he says, but when God, who from birth, remember we talked about God knows our end from our beginning? He sees it all at once. He's outside of time and space. So God called Saul of Tarsus before he was ever Paul. He called him from birth. Same way he's called you from birth. He's called us all. We all have the same calling. So he says, by his grace, it was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. So this is not a plan. This is not a scheme. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Excuse me. And after three years, so he didn't consult anybody for three years. It's important that we see this because he didn't go back to his old ways or go to any teachers that he knew or even any teachers of of Christianity or, or Jesus' teaching. He didn't even go to Peter, who was a friend of his. He didn't go to any of these places at first. He was being revealed these things through the Holy Spirit. Do we trust him or not? Paul trusted him enough to, to wait three years to even consult with anyone. And after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, this is Peter. And I stayed with him 15 days, so they're buddies. But I didn't see any of, of the other apostles except James, uh, the Lord's brother. Now, I'm not lying. <laughs> it's good that he says this. I'm not lying in what I write you. God is my witness. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and, and uh, Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judea... To the Judea uh, to the Judean churches in Christ, um, they simply kept hearing, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith He once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So, this wasn't a great scheme or a big sales pitch of this thing that He had bought into. Okay? Does that make sense? This wasn't a grand plan that He bought into this movement or anything like that. This was revelation from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2.11, we're going to jump down just a little bit. Galatians 2.11, basically it talks about him and, him and Peter a little bit, um, how they parted ways and how Peter went to the Jews and he went to the Gentiles. Um, but I didn't have time to go through all that, so I really want to get to this. Galatians 2.11 says, But when Cephas, he's talking about Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he, regular, he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came to James, came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. That's not a party I want to attend. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of that party. Anyway, <laughs> circumcision party. So basically, Jews. He, he, he ate with the Gentiles for a while, but then when the Jews came, he retreated with the Jews and didn't eat with the Gentiles anymore because he, he felt pressure from them. Then the rest of the Jews joined his, his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everybody, <laughs> I told Peter in front of everybody, 
If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Basically, he's calling them double-minded. He's calling them a hypocrite is what he's doing. Um, verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners um, know, that one, know that no one is justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because the works of the law, because by the works of the law, how many? None. No human being will be justified. This goes back to the scripture talks about the law comes with a curse, with death. The law equals curse, death. The law wasn't abolished, it was fulfilled. The law was good and just. I'm not saying the law is bad. The law was necessary to lead us to a savior. What he's saying here is, if you live by the law, you're going to die by the law. And he's saying, no human being will be justified by the law. There's six, some 613 laws. We, we, and this is, I don't mean to deviate too much, but it's one of my pet peeves. It kind of frustrates me with the divisions in churches and uh, denominational divisions. And I think what that comes from is, especially this, this whole, I call spirit, basically the spirit of religion, that says, and what it does is it takes, because no, None of these religious teachers will really admit that they're fulfilling all the 613 laws. They whittle it down to a certain amount that's palatable to them, and then they create this, this denomination or mainstream deal that works for them, and it works for other people, and they prop up on it. But the problem is the law is much bigger than that, and it's much more deadly than that, because if you, if you try to gather enough of it, it's an absolute joke that we could do it at all. But we, we try to prop ourselves up on all this law, and then one thing happens and it all falls apart, right? It's, it's a mess, and it causes division, and it causes frustration, and it's, you end up being frustrated trying to fulfill a covenant that's not even there anymore. You try to fulfill a gospel that's not a real gospel, and you end up being, like he says, you feel like you're cursed. You're cursed because that's, that's the end of it. And so what happens is I, I, I heard a long time ago this guy talk about a, uh, a guy was driving through a country town, and... He saw these bullseyes on the side of barns, and there was, like, arrows in the middle of all the bullseyes. <clears throat> so he pulled over, and he asked the guy, he was like, hey, I'd like to meet the archer. I'm into archery, and I'd like to meet the archer that hit all these bullseyes. He's incredible. And the guy's like, oh, you don't want to meet him? He's like, no, I really want to meet him. He he's, seems like an incredible archer, and I'm into this, and I want to meet him. He's like, you don't want to meet this guy. And they argue back and forth for a while. And finally, the guy says, you don't want to meet this guy. He's the village idiot. He shoots arrows into my barn, and then he paints bullseyes around him. <laughs> So basically, that's what happens when we have this religious mindset is we find something that we can grab a hold of and that we think, and here's the, here's the, the problem, we think that we can fulfill this law. We even whittle it down to 10 and say, okay, we'll just say these 10. But there's not just 10, there's 613. We whittle it down to something that's palatable to us and we say, we can do this. Okay, okay, maybe a few more, but that's it. We can do this. Well, maybe a few more. But we can fulfill these, these laws. But where's the end? There is no, there's no end. And so what happens is you end up, the law in and of itself will bring death, and it brings you to the end of yourself, and you, it necessitates a Savior. It says, okay, I thought I could keep all of these, and I've been holding them and juggling them, and I'm dropping them. I messed up yesterday, and then like three months ago I messed up, and I don't know what to do. I need something else. So it brings us to the end of ourselves. Sorry, I diverted a little bit there. Uh, Let's see, verse 16. Know that no one is justified through the works of the law of faith in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified through faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Verse 17. 
But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I, re- if I rebuild the system I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. Think about that. It's like going down a dead-end road and going, okay, let's find a different way. And then you go right back down the dead-end road. <laughs> it's foolish. It's ignorant. It's like the, the mouse that goes and, and gets buzzed and shocked, and he runs around and goes right back to it. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. He's saying, why would I go back to a system that doesn't work? Why, why would I keep beating myself over the head trying to do something that does not work? Verse 19, for through the law, I have died to the law, so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Listen to this. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So if we put our faith in in the law, we're basically saying that what Christ did is not good enough. Now, what he says here, he's hinting towards renewing of the mind. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved himself and gave himself for me. Now, before that, he says, uh, through the law, I have died to the law so that I may live for God. Now, you see the drastic transition there. He's died to the law and he lives through, through God. Now, we talked about, <laughs> now, we talked about uh, renewing of the mind last week. And I looked up this. I was looking at, like, habits that we form and different things like that. Uh, and what we said last week, and, and what I believe is our hearts are crucified. Now, we've been... We've been duped, and in, in in, I know people have told me our heart is where our emotions are, and our brain is our logic, and that's not true. The heart is where Christ lives, and we've been crucified in the heart. He gave us a new heart. That's, that's the truth. And so we're crucified here, and the work is finished here, but our minds are constantly being renewed, okay? If it wasn't constantly being renewed, we would never learn anything. We'd be, we'd be done. But our minds are constantly being renewed. That's why we still have bad thoughts sometimes because our mind's still being renewed. That's why we don't have faith in just knowledge because we can be tricked, right? How many of you have been scared? It's Halloween's coming up and you've been scared and thinking something's real and it's not real. But our minds can be tricked. We've been taught things. I've been taught things that were incorrect, right? I've been taught things that are incorrect and then we realize later that's, that's not right because our minds are being renewed. We're learning. Now, what's interesting, this is a completely secular article. I was just curious to see what the world had to say about it. But it's funny that when they study it, you can find exactly what I'm talking about in Scripture here with the renewing of the mind. It says, there's no shortage of apps out there designed to help you form a habit. And many of those are built on the assumption that all you need is 21 days. This number comes from a widely popular 1960 book called Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. A plastic surgeon who noticed his patients seemed to take about 21 days to get used to their new faces. <laughs> Seems kind of weird. However, according to more recent studies, the time it takes to form a habit really isn't that clear-cut. It's more relational. It's not just a cookie-cutter thing. Researchers from University, uh, from University College London examined the, the new habits of 96 people over the space of 12 weeks and found that the average time it takes for a new habit to stick is actually 66 days. Furthermore, individual times varied from 18 to a whopping 254 days. Why do you think that is? Because we're all different. We talked about last week when... when when we apply this, this heart of God, the, the, the knowledge of Christ to renew our minds, then in my marriage, I don't go, I don't go to Tracy and, and argue all the facts because I want to win to be the right one in the marriage. That would result in me being right and winning an argument, but it would, it would uh, also result in a marriage that would be falling apart over time because I would be fighting for my right to be right over the overarching theme, which is the marriage, which is love. But if I'm, if I'm 
living my marriage from my heart. Same thing with kids. How do we treat kids? We treat them differently, right? They're all different, so we treat them differently. I had an opportunity to do this the other day. Um, had to listen to myself for a, for a moment. Um, I had to go out of town uh, half the week and then drive back, and I was exhausted. I was tinkering around with something on the Jeep, and I'd got the go-kart going for Kylie, my middle daughter. She was riding it, and Jordan immediately started crying. Just very emotional. I don't know why, and I don't understand it. And so I'm frustrated. I'm like, don't cry. Stop crying. <laughs> I mean, it's all like, don't do that. And so she just continues to cry, and Kylie always gets to ride the go-kart first, and she takes all my friends, and the whole world's ending. And she's just emotional and crying, and I'm like, oh, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And I'm being mean dad, really, is what I'm being. But I'm just like, stop, 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 stop. And so, uh, so ultimately, I felt bad. I look up, and I'm seeing alligator tears coming. I don't want to spoil her, but at the same time, I love her, and I don't want to hurt her. And so I began to hear the, the words that I spoke last week. Am I, how am I relating to her? Am I relating to her from, you know, don't cry. I, basically, my go-to is go inside if you're going to cry. You can't be outside and do guy stuff and hang out and play with me if you're going to cry. Get inside. Silly. But that's my go-to. And so I stopped, and I said, okay, I need to address this differently. How, how do I need to address this from the heart? The same thing I'm teaching you guys. How do I need to, to do that? And I began to pray, and I was like, okay, I need to stop what I'm doing because it's not as important as she is. And I, I jumped in the Jeep, and I, let her, I said, hey, you want to drive the Jeep around the yard? I put it in full drive, and I let her just drive in my lap. And she was excited, and she was happy, and it was great. We got to drive around. We try not to run over Kylie while she's riding the go-kart. And we drive around the yard. And, and she was happy, and it was good, and I was happy, and it was good. It stopped me from what I was doing that I thought was really important, and it, and it got me focused on what was really important. Does that make sense? We, we either trust the Holy Spirit in our hearts or we don't. We can, we can try to think our way out of things, and we're clever. We're clever. I'll be the first to admit, we're clever, and we can, we can think our way in and out of situations, and we can justify things. But if, I'm telling you, this is good. I'm not saying it because I'm saying it's the Holy Spirit. It, if you can hear what I'm saying, what I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, and you consult this Holy Spirit that lives in your heart, it can radically change the way you do things. It can radically change your life. Amen. Either we trust Him or we don't. All right. From 18 to a whopping 254 days it takes people. My mic just got loud. Um, the takeaway message here is that if you want to develop a new behavior, it will take at least two months. <laughs> and they're trying to compartmentalize all this, but take it for what it's worth. And, and you shouldn't despair if three weeks doesn't do the trick. For most people, uh, that's simply not enough. But what about trying to break an unwanted habit? It turns out the two habit forming, I'm sorry, it turns out the two habit forming and breaking can be quite closely linked. What's it sound like? Renewing of the mind. A psychologist, Timothy Cycle, I can't pronounce his last name, explains there are two sides of the same coin. Breaking a habit really means establishing a new habit, a new pre, prepotent response. It's much easier to start doing something new than to stop doing something habitual without replacement behavior, says uh, neuroscientist Elliot Berkman. That's one reason why smoking uh, cessation aids such as nicotine gum or inhalers tend to be more effective than the nicotine patch, renewing of your mind. Are you seeing it there, the parallel here? Experts agree there's no typical time frame for breaking a habit, and the right recipe is going to be a mix of personality, motivation, circumstances, and the habit in question. Now, we know different, but hear, hear what he's saying. People who want to kick their habit for reasons that are aligned with their personal values will change their behavior faster than people who are doing it for external reasons, such as pressure for others, from others. 
So do you see the contrast there from uh, a religious uh, rule-keeping state to a loving, sold-out, realistic life state? He's saying that people who, have, who see this as valuable to them, their habits change faster. Why is that? Why do they change faster than just peer pressure from other people? Now, what they didn't study and I didn't go into is how many of those people that break those habits from peer pressure from others fall off of that and mess up when that, when that threat is lifted. All of us, if we, if we fall under law, once the threat's lifted, we're going to do what we want, right? If I say, you can only do this much stuff, you can only do this, you can only do this, as soon as I'm out of the picture and I say, you know, you don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and then my kids go out and they're free to do whatever they want, they're going to do what they want. I can lie to myself and say they're always going to do what I want them to do. Now, I do have good plans for them, and I do want to train them up in those ways, but at the same time, I know that they're free to do what they want. I'm more concerned with their want to than I am just rules and regulations. And I think God's more concerned with that than us. He's more concerned with the relationship than just what you do each day. Now, the cool thing about this is those results will come. If we trust, just like I said, if we trust in this Holy Spirit that's in us, either we trust him or not, if we trust in it and we consult with him, he's a living, breathing, moving thing, person that is with us. If we trust in that, then we can go to him and we can talk to him. Are you talking to him? Are you listening to him? Is this reality to you? These are questions we have to ask ourselves when we call ourselves Christians. We have to. They have to be addressed. Me too. I have to think about these things. Because our minds are being renewed every day. Set your mind. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. Set your mind. What are you setting your mind on? Is it just new ways of thinking? Or is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? And are you listening? Um, this is just Paul's credentials. Uh, you don't have to go there, but Philippians 2.2, 2, it says, Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's kind of taking a jab at um, circumcision of the flesh because he's, he's saying in verse 3, For we are the circumcision. The ones who, <clears throat> who serve by what? By the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. The flesh will fail you every time. If anyone, uh, although I once also had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth, eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding the righteous, uh, righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. This is a man who spent his life investing in a system, investing in the law. He spent his life persecuting and killing people because he believed in a system and a way of life. And he's saying, I count everything, everything that I did, that I, that I, that I made myself do to follow this system, I count it all loss. Everything that I've built up on myself, I count all loss. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, he doesn't say, I consider everything a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus' teachings or Jesus' ways or Jesus' rules. He says, knowing him, knowing Jesus. He met him on the road to Damascus, and it changed him forever. It wasn't a system. It wasn't a, a, a theology. It was a person who came to live with him. 
And I believe in those three years, he talked to him a lot. I believe he consulted with the Holy Spirit. I believe he trusted the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit was teaching him to go outside of what he knew. Listen, it would have been easier for him to go to teach the, the, uh, the Jews than it would the, the Gentiles. We've talked about this. They were dirty. They were filthy. These were prostitutes and, and, and these Gentiles were filthy people to the Jews. They looked down on them. And he, he sent them to them. And that's why he's so frustrated with them because he's like, look, you're not even caught up in all this, this lineage that I have, but yet Peter and these guys come in here and, and they're trying to mix in a little bit of, of, of basically death and curse with this grace and with this good news. Don't believe anything else other than what I'm teaching you. And that's how he boasts in Christ. It's so more than that. Also, consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So, what does that mean to you, right? Okay, that's great, Pastor Justin. That's awesome for Paul. Saul of Tarsus, I haven't mass-murdered Christians. I haven't done all these things. What does, that, what does that mean to me? How does this affect you? When we, when we leave this place, this church building, we go out into life, we have jobs, we have families, we have decisions that we make every day, we make judgments. Everybody says, oh, don't judge me, don't judge me. We make judgments every day. What they mean is don't condemn me. <laughs> People just transliterated that word into condemnation. We make judgments every day, right? Don't we make decisions every day? There are all these decisions that we make and, and we base them on either the, our past experiences, right? We either base them on what we've experienced in the past. We, okay, I go into the situation and I've dealt with a similar situation in the past, so I'm going to reference that past experience. Does that seem logical? I'm going to, I'm going to reference what's happened in the past, so I'm going to use that as, as to lay the groundwork of how I'm going to handle this situation. That seems logical, but that's not what we should do. <clears throat> the reason we should not do that is... Because the scripture constantly tells us we're renewing our mind. How are you going to renew your mind if you're depending on past experiences with people that are flawed? If we're renewing our mind, we need to go into every situation. I'm talking, I'm, I'm preaching to myself about kids, our kids, when we talk to our kids, we talk to our spouses, when we talk to our friends, when we talk to our coworkers. Listen, I promise you, Jesus is less, less concerned with your coworkers' bad language or his tattoos or whatever you think he's worried about than he is his heart. Christ is less concerned with your past and all of your troubles and your frustrations and the things that you struggle with than he is your heart. He's more concerned with the relationship than anything, and Paul got it. Paul understood that, and that's why he said, even if there was another gospel, there's not even another gospel to go to. There's no other covenant to go to. And he understood that because he was part of, he comes from that lineage, he comes from that, and he understood it very clearly. He says, there was no one greater than me in this system but I count everything that I've done complete garbage compared to just knowing Christ because that's better. So much better than just going through these motions and trying to live up to some expectations of a law that I don't even fully understand. All 613 of them. When you, when you come to that place and you see this person that you, you've been praying for, this person that you want to see come to know the love of God, instead of arguing with them about being right or wrong, Find a place that you can pray about it and, and consult the Holy Spirit. And I, I say this, listen to me, this is very powerful. Ask this Christ that lives with us, this Holy Spirit, 
If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You can choose to not consult Him if you want to, but it's an ignorant thing to do. I'm telling you, ask, Father, how do I need to do this? How do I address this situation? And I promise you He'll speak to you. You can bank on it. He will speak to you. I, I speak from experience. If you ask and you listen, He will speak to you. And what's cool about that is it, it takes so much stress off of us. I keep saying this. Grace puts us in a peculiar position. It does. Because when we step out in faith, we go, okay, yeah, your grace is sufficient, but what are people going to think about me? But I still need to do this, and I still need to, but I still need to do this, and but, 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 but. No, grace says, shut up. <laughs> don't, don't worry about any of that. All that's about you. Listen to what I'm saying to you about this situation. And then you leave that situation, you go to another situation, you go, okay, well, I need to do this. And what's cool about that is, you know what's cool when you have people around and you talk to them? They can react quickly, Right? Right? say, okay, what do you think about this? And then somebody thinks, and they go, okay, yeah, yeah, and you discuss, and you talk about it. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit doesn't say, okay, go study, you know, four, four different books of the Bible, think about it, contemplate, and come back to the situation. That person may not be there anymore, right? But if we can, if we can consult the Holy Spirit, this, this heart, uh, it's, it's the gut even in the, in the, in the Greek, the, the core of who you are. This is where the Holy Spirit resides, is in you. I'm not saying just be ignorant and don't use your brain at all. But even we've, we've learned even the conscience is subject to Christ. So we submit our thoughts. We say, okay, what do you think about this? And we live out of that, our core, who we are. This is who we are. And so you're not, you're not trying to, and it takes all the pressure off. You're not manipulating. You're not scheming. You're not trying to get your own way. You are listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying to you, and then you're doing it. And it's that simple. That's it. And the more you begin to trust and move, it's like a muscle. You begin to move and trust the Lord, and you consult Him, and you talk to Him. You go, okay, you're here with me. You're not far off in heaven waiting for me to die so I can be happy. <laughs> we need to remind our faces sometimes that we can be happy. So, okay, you're here with me. In this situation, I'm struggling with what do I need to do here? And the Holy Spirit will speak, and He'll move. And the more you do it, the more He'll do it. The more He'll, he'll move through you. And like Paul's saying here, Christ in me. I'd rather Christ in me. Stand up with me. I'll pray for you guys. There's a, there's a reality beyond your interpretation of it. There is, there is a truth beyond your perception of it. And there's a God that is greater even than your opinion of him sometimes. Because I've, I've been angry at God and there's nothing wrong with that. It was, it was, it was my misinterpretation of who he was. And he's so good to look past that even. He's so good that he sees us even in the midst of our ignorance. He goes, it's okay. I'll help you. That's why they call the Holy, he calls the Holy Spirit a helper. So if you accept Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a package deal. <laughs> we can't claim to be a Christian and not have this Holy Spirit with us. Please don't negate it. Him, not it. Him. I really feel like, uh, before we pray, I just want to tell you this. I really feel like the thing I heard months ago about revival... I'm still hearing that, and, and I know there's some positive and negative connotations with revival, but it's, it's, I see it almost as an awakening. I think this, this religious spirit that has oppressed the church for so long, I think is beginning to break. And I think the more we push forward in this and we begin to trust this Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, he'll start doing some stuff, and it'll, it'll start shaking some things up. And I'm not looking at just our church. I want to see other church awaken to this reality. This Holy Spirit that we have, either we trust Him or we don't. And I trust Him. And He's done things 
in the last six months that I, hadn't, I could not have imagined or planned or schemed or manipulated. <laughs> so I don't speak of just ideas and, and, and thoughts. I, I do speak from experience with the Holy Spirit, and I pray, pray, pray that you begin to do the same thing because the more you do it, the more it's going to begin to release. And this Holy Spirit's going to release, and it's going to start to move in your life and move in those around you, and it's going to wake some people up. Don't put too much emphasis on your personality. He'll change your personality. <laughs> Sorry. I was an introvert. <laughs> Still a little bit. But he'll, the Holy Spirit will make you do some pretty cool things. And it's all good. And it's all beneficial. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, we do trust your Holy Spirit. Father, we, we bank on this relationship over just rules and regulations. Father, we bank on your grace to go before us and just as we were singing to be the wind in our sails, Father, to push us into the reality of you. Father, I pray for more of a revival and awakening of your Holy Spirit in our church and in churches all over the city and all over this world. Father, open our eyes to a relationship with you. This isn't a new thought or a new idea. This is your heart from the beginning. It's the only gospel there is. Father, we will, we, we will not mix a curse and death with your grace and your love. We won't mix it. Father, we submit everything to you. And as we push forward, you are going before us with this great news. It is great news. Full of joy and peace and love, Father. We will be partners with you and you, <laughs> and you will move through us and we thank you for that. Father, continue to renew our minds and help us Help us to see and to consult this, this awesome Holy Spirit, this person that lives and resides in us. Father, help us to, to, to use that and utilize that in every situation. Father, and just, uh, just explode. I <laughs> just see an explosion of your Holy Spirit as we leave this place. Father, we love you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.